piece and just also just the reality that this is the time of giving and he gave to us that indescribable gift found in Jesus Christ. So as we prepare our hearts for a continued time of worship, let's look to the Lord in prayer as we prepare our hearts for giving unto him. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you for just the, the privilege of realizing that despite our rebellion against you from the very beginning, that you sent someone for us that we might be rescued uh, from our rebellion against you and being enemies of you. And Father, we thank you that that peace is found in Jesus Christ and we we just really pray as we are gathered together and as we have opportunity to be with family and friends throughout the Christmas season that we might be uh, true peacemakers, uh, not only in terms of resolving conflict one person to another and within a home or within a place of employment, but even more so that we might be peacemakers helping people to find peace in Jesus Christ. And Father, we thank you for the privilege of giving, a giving in which we have the opportunity to support what you're doing locally and globally. And we do pray that you might really make an impact in the lives of people. Father, we pray for the apartment life ministry and just ask that you might use that to touch lives. Uh, we thank you for uh, Patrick and Becky and just ask that you might just encourage them as they uh, just show love in a demonstrative way in their ministry. And Father, we thank you for uh, our privileges of in our neighborhoods and in our um, homes to be a lights for you. And now, Father, might you bless each gift and each giver. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Devin. Well, this morning we have the opportunity to continue, and not only continue, but actually finish our series on knowing God. And as we think about knowing God, there is no greater pursuit than to know God. And so I entitled this message, Keep Pursuing God. 
But there's some dangers involved in whatever you do in life. I don't know if you've, uh, if you've experienced that. Sometimes the places where you think it's going to be the safest are not always the safest. And sometimes you have some concerns about entering into a particular activity or connecting with a certain type of, of a, a person or people. Uh, a couple weeks ago, one of my friends I was inviting to church and his response back says, I'd go to church, but I'm afraid what would happen if I went to church. I thought that was an interesting response, and knowing a little bit of a story, I think I know what he meant by that. But some people do have a fear of a place like this. Uh, somehow they might be thinking about things that they have done or not done, or some things that they should have done that they did not do, and they think somehow God might throw down a lightning bolt upon them and just disintegrate them. Maybe the roof will cave in. I've heard that in, in, in relationships to people. But actually, church, they've determined statistically, is one of the safest places in the world uh, to be. I, I just got this from Patsy Morris. And if you see Patsy Morris today, this is actually her birthday. So um, uh, I don't know if they still pinch and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Hit No. Okay. Anyway, you can uh, do whatever you want to express um, uh, love and support to Patsy. It's on her birthday. We don't have her on that list in the back. But she sent this to me this past week concerning um, just what is things we ought to be concerned about. Uh, do not ride in automobiles. Why? Because they cause 20% of all fatal accidents. Do not stay home. 17% of all accidents do occur in the home. Do not walk on the streets or sidewalks. 14% of all accidents happen to pedestrians. Do not travel by air, rail, or water. 16% of all accidents happen on these. However, only 0.001% of all deaths occur in worship services in church. <laughs> and these are related to previous physical disorders. Hence, the safest place for you to be at any time is at church. And just a side note, Bible study is safe too. The percentage there is even less. So make sure to join a life group. You know, pursuing God is not only uh, something that is going to bless you spiritually, but we just heard that it will bless you physically. It's, there is no safer place than to be at church. You don't have to fear God is going to somehow bring down the roof upon you or throw a lightning bolt from heaven. But God does not want us to think that this is a place where we can get comfortable. Uh, God is the, the best at uh, comforting the afflicted and afflicting the comfortable. God recognizes where we are, but he doesn't want us to remain where we are. And hopefully you've come to the place, wherever you are in your journey in pursuing God, whether you're still on the outside looking in and wondering, is this, is this all true or is this make-believe? Is this some kind of myth or fanciful thinking? Or is it true? And if it is true, then you have that uncomfortable step to say, am I going to turn from how I have been living and turn to a living God? And if, after we've made that step, then we have that ongoing challenge, wherever we are in our journey with God, do we want to go deeper? Do we want to go further? Do we want to become more faithful? Do we want to put more trust in the one that knows best? And so that journey is going to be awesome, but it's not always going to be easy. And so as we kind of, uh, over these 11 weeks, summarize uh, what we've talked about in the past, uh, it's the idea that we might continue to pursue God. And we are not left to our own, own means as to how we do that. Well, I'll do it my way and you do it your way. Well, there might be some different locations you might end up in, but there's really only one way to pursue God, and that's whose way? God's way. 
And, and so we want to talk about that this morning as we kind of wrap this up as well as keep within the Christmas theme as we go into the season. Keep pursuing God. Well, where does it begin? What are the first steps? You have your outline. This might help you a little bit as we kind of make some simple, straightforward truth. And, and I'm not really that deep of a preacher, so uh, we'll just make some simple uh, challenges for all of us uh, this day. Uh, where do you begin? You begin by being honest. Uh, that's a pretty good step, isn't it? If you're going to try to connect with God, is be honest about it. Um, and basically, there's two options because I don't normally give you enough points. I'm going to add a third one, all right? Number one, uh, are you a poser? There, there are a lot of people who show up to do a lot of different things, and they show up actually to watch other people do whatever they're going to do. They're the spectators. Dan Mayer, who's, who's not, is not concentrating on me right at this moment because he's looking at his grandchild. You know, he'll often say, you know, I, I, I'm not an athlete. I'm an athletic supporter, you know. Okay, so so much of that way, you know. We, well, you know, we support athletes, uh, athletics, but do we, really, do we really participate? Do we really connect? Are we a poser? Are we just looking at other people? It used to be, and it's not so much now, there aren't as many posers within a church in some ways because it used to be that you went to church to come, somehow make connections for your business. You might make a few sales. You might look a little bit more respectable in the community. Uh, but we, we can not necessarily look so obvious as a poser on the outside, but are, are we a real poser on the inside? Is, is it our heart's desire to seek after Almighty God? Are you a poser? Uh, Matthew 5, 6, 5 says this, and, and really posers often can be very self-righteous people. When you pray, you are not to be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners so they may be seen by men. Truly I say to you, they have the reward in full. You know, God is not impressed with what, what, other make, what, what impresses other people. God is looking beyond the external. He's looking at the heart. And so he wants us not to be a poser as we pursue, keep pursuing knowing God. Uh, are you a player? Deuteronomy 4.29 says this, But from there you will seek the Lord your God, and you will find him if you search for him with all your heart and all your soul. And we need to understand there are two players in this game, this game of life. God is pursuing us. And then as he pursues us, in turn, he'll find out whether we actually want to pursue him. You know, God is not lost. We're lost. But we'll really discover whether we want to be found <laughs> by our desire to be found. Many people will go to great lengths to remind me <laughs> that I've been lost at times. And, and for much of the time when I have been lost, I, I was not looking to be found because I didn't know I was lost. But there comes a time when you recognize when you are lost, have no idea where you are, you're desperately wanting to be found. And that's that heart's desire that we all should have as it relates to knowing God. We, we want to know Him and know Him deeply. Hebrews 11, 6 says this, And without faith it is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is and is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And that's a verse I, I want to challenge all of us to, to memorize or rememorize or review. This is, a, this is a foundational verse. It all comes with trust. In fact, this is what I want to add to our, our outline this morning. 
And be honest. Are you a poser? Are you a player? Are you a person who's experienced peace? Tony Kim shared that this is part of the the Christmas story. Uh, Let me read to you a section out of Luke chapter 2. And it says this in verse 11, a very familiar statement of the Christmas story. For today in the city of David there's been born for you a Savior who is Jesus Christ the Lord. And there will be a sign for you will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. See, God desperately wants you to to know him and experience what only he can give, which is peace. But not simply like the peace that the, the world offers. There's, there's two desperate needs for us to experience God's peace. It's the peace of God and peace with God. Peace with God is us realizing that, that all of us enter into this experience, what we call life, far from God. In fact, the Bible, whether you can wrap your mind around it or not, we are enemies of God because we are going our way and not His way. And, and until... That barrier between him and us is bridged. We are at war with God. But Jesus signed that treaty of peace with his blood. And we experience, no longer be enemies of God, experiencing the peace treaty with God when we put our hearts in his heart. Or as Hebrews eleven six says, how, how do you know whether God has brought peace to you on this earth, to the ones who is well pleased? Well, do that which pleases God. What pleases God is your trust. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is. And he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So as we keep pursuing God, God wants us to keep trusting him putting our confidence in Him, relying upon Him, depending upon Him, realizing He is the only one who can bridge that gap between us and Him. That's the peace of God. Peace with God is that which God gives us in our experience when we go through the challenges of life and we're just filled with with everything that doesn't bring us peace, the frustrations of life, the difficulties of life, the heartaches, where even in the midst of the storm, you experience God's presence and he, he takes that grief that is so strong, that, that failure that is so devastating, and wraps his arms around you and say, it's all right because I'm with you. Keep pursuing God. Be honest. Don't be a poser. Be a player and be a person who experiences God's peace. But as we pursue God, we can only pursue God if we know who God is. And, and so through these 11 weeks, we've, we've tried to portray that as, as honestly and clearly and as definitively as possible as, as the Bible reveals who God is. But the Bible says that we can look into the creative power of this universe and realize it couldn't have happened by chance. There had to be some kind of cause for all the things that had been caused. There has to be some reason things exist. And so there's the supreme being that has brought this all into existence. But beyond that, what can we know about God? 
Is he knowable? Does he want to be known? And does he want to know us? Well, what, is the, what does the Bible say that we ought to continue in terms of understanding who God is as he's revealed us not only in nature but through revelation, speaking unto us? Well, we need to know, first of all, what is God? And some of, some of you have asked me, well, that's, that's a strange question to ask of God. What, what, what are you? What kind of being are you? But that's pretty critical, isn't it? I mean, some, some people believe that there aren't just one God. There are what? Many gods. Some believe that God is a God that maybe started all, that deism basically, deist basically this. He, he started the clock. He wound up the clock. Remember when you had a wind-up clock? Anybody? Anybody? I know. Well, okay. You, know, you had a wind-up clock, so you couldn't just put a battery in it or just look at your cell phone. You had to wind up a clock. And, and they believe that's the, that's the kind of God that we have. He, he's a God that started things, and then he put that on the shelf, and now he's just doing his own thing, and it just started. So, some people believe that you can express God in a, a statue. You know, so, some people believe that really God is not an individual being. He's everything. All of us are gods. In fact, some of you believe that you will become a God if you're not fully a God yet, all right? What is God? Well, the Bible reveals him very plainly. God is spirit. And because he's spirit, that means he's not confined physically like we are confined physically. We'll, we'll sometimes say, well, I can't be there. I can't be there, but I'll be there in spirit. You know what that actually means? That means absolutely nothing when you say that, right? If you're going to help me clean up my, my garage, I don't want you in spirit. I want you there, right? Well, God is spirit. He's everywhere. His presence is everywhere. And I didn't really proofread my notes very well. He's infinite. Now, you can put infinitely eternal, but that's kind of saying the same thing. He's infinite. There, there's, there's nothing limiting him. Uh, all of us, if we take an honest look at ourselves, you know, we might be good at a few things, but we're not good at what? Everything. God is infinite. He's eternal both ways. We're going to be eternal in the future. We don't, we don't come out of existence when we die. But Jesus, God, all that he is has been eternal not only in the future but in the past. He's unchangeable in his being. Now, for us, that would be a curse. I mean, if, if we were always the same as we've always been then we wouldn't, be, we wouldn't be people we would like to be around very much, right? Because we all go down paths that aren't as, as admirable as we would like. God is unchangeable as being because he's already perfect. He's completely full of wisdom and power and holiness. And in the fill-in-blank this morning, is justice, goodness, and truth. And the reason I put justice here, in fact, is you think about understanding who God is, and that's why this book is a big book. It should emphasize to us that God is a big God. He's way beyond all that we could imagine. And we don't want to limit him to a few of our favorite attributes. One of the favorite attributes that is so true about God, and we're going to see it later on, that God is love. But he's much more than simply love. He's just. He's full of justice. And as I, Isaiah 45, 21, it says, and this is, I just put the one passage down, and it really, it really speaks about, <laughs> Isaiah writes in a way where God is speaking in the first person, and he's, he's talking to all the people who are kind of arguing with him about you know, who is the real true God and who really knows about the universe. And he says, well, 
Uh, earlier in the passage, he says, well, who was there when I started everything? Why are you commenting on me when you weren't there when the heavens came in, into existence? And then as they make offers to false gods, he said, oh, really? Oh, really? And then he says this. It's almost as, a, as one lawyer speaking to another. He, he says, uh, tell and bring forth your case. If you think you know more about God than God himself, bring forth your case. Yes, let them take counsel together. Who has declared this from ancient time? Who has told it from that time? Have not I the Lord? And here he, he speaks not simply of the creation. He says, okay, let me bring it back a little bit uh, closer in terms of a time frame. Remember when I told you that Judah was going to be put into captivity? And then he was going to return? Did anybody else predict that? He says, you think of all the things that I told you about that was going to happen before it happened in grave detail. Who, who, who is even close to that? And one of the major reasons that we believe that Jesus is who he claimed to be is because he fulfilled what? Prophecy. That God left the footprints of the one who was to come so clearly that when he came, we wouldn't miss it unless we didn't want to see it. And he says simply this, And there is no other God beside me, a just God and a Savior. There is none beside me. What does it mean that God is a just God? Let me just read to you from a, a Greek lexicon. The word for just really has the idea of a judicial hearing and act, the denoting of what is right, the execution of a sentence. Is it just that criminal action goes unpunished? Is it just or right that no action gives approval to destructive behavior of others? Which simply says, that's so against our nature. Because when, when good is not expressed, when evil is present, it gives approval to that unless something is done. A person who is in prison, when, when he finishes his time in prison... People will say he has paid his what to society? His debt to society. And we need to realize this, God being just. And this is, this is how God in his great love, in fact, the Bible describes God's love. But God um, demonstrates his old love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, deserving of judgment, God sent forth his son. And so God, because of his holiness and his justice, realizes that sin had to be judged. And either that judgment would come to us or someone who would be put in our what? Place. And so as we think of pursuing this God who is so awesome, he's a God of justice. And when we think of the cross, and we'll be thinking about that in a few moments, and we partake of the, the bread and the cup, this is an expression of God as a just God, where we realize that our sin had to be paid for. The Bible says, for the wage of sin is death. So as we pursue God, we can't be a poser. We've we got to be a player. We've we got to be a person that, who's seeking to experience God's peace, peace with God and the peace of God. 
We want to know, what is God? God is not something that we put, we put in our own image. He's much beyond that. God is spirit. He's infinite. He's eternal. He's unchangeable in his being. He's completely full of wisdom and power and holiness and justice and goodness and truth. And isn't that what Jesus said? He says, I, I am the way, the, the truth. No one, no one comes to the Father but through me. Well, God has described who he is, what he is. He also describes who he is. And the Bible's pretty plain on this, and it's not easy for us to completely understand, but the Bible portrays it clearly. Knowing what is God, but also knowing who is God. God is one in essence and three in person. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And as we have difficulty understanding how could one being, one being be of one essence and yet be three persons, and we can't, we can't totally understand that. But if you can get Jesus right, the Trinity, the Trinity makes sense. Again, the Bible says he is one. In Isaiah 42, 8, it says, I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not give my glory to another, nor my praise to graven images. And so God has said that he is, there is one, there is no other, and no one's going to share his, his praise, his glory, his majesty. And yet when Jesus came, that's exactly what he did. Look at John chapter 5, verse 22 and 23. For, for not even the Father judges anyone, but he has given all judgment to the Son, so that all will honor the Son even as they honor the, what? The Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. So you, you can't have this high view of God without having that same high view of Jesus. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 1 that, that God spoke through his prophets throughout the ages, but now he has finally spoken us in his Son because he revealed himself completely. If God wanted to communicate his message to dogs, he would have become a, a dog. If he wanted to communicate his message to birds, he would have become a... If he wanted to communicate his message to man, he would have become a man. He was fully God and fully man. And if we honor who God is, then we honor the Son the same. That's what is God, who is God. But, but let's look at the three persons. And, and I know this is all by review, but I, I just wanna, I want us to bring us to the point where we at least have a singular handle to, to, to wrap our hearts and minds around the three persons of the Godhead. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Number one. Knowing the Father as loving provider. That, that is, is something you hopefully that we could focus on as we think about God being Father. In 2 Corinthians 13, 14, we're going to see this in each one of the, the three persons of the, of the Trinity. Paul finishes his, his letter in 2 Corinthians. He writes, The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Spirit, Holy Spirit be with you all. Paul there emphasizes, whether you talk about the Son, whether you talk about the Father, we talk to the Holy Spirit, there's some things I want you to be, to be experiencing, and I want you to, to linger in terms of who they are for you, because that's who they are. And essentially, again, he doesn't even keep, keep it in the traditional order. He doesn't say Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He says Son, Father, and Holy Spirit. And, and usually order is 
a statement of importance or value in all parts of the Trinity are equal of value, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, or Son, Father, Holy Spirit, or however you wanted to put them in order. But he says about the Father, I want you to experience the love of God. I was reading this past week about a pastor in a, in a church, a large church, and he was doing a, um, a message on fatherhood. And he, he asked the, the men and women in the congregation, he said, how many of you, how many of you uh, never heard from your father, I love you, and I'm proud of you? And if you've never heard that phrase, never heard the phrase, I love you or I'm proud of you, I, I want you to stand up. Now, sometimes you ask a person like that, if you're up in front stage, you go, oh, oh, oh what's going to happen if no one stands up? <laughs> you know? And for the first few minutes, no one stood up. And then all of a sudden, this one man stood up. And they started playing music. And sometimes music can be a, an experience where you kind of release the motions. And, and, and so then two or three people stood up. And all of a sudden, both genders stood up, both the men and the women. And within this large congregation, there was a sea of people who had never heard from their father one time, I love you or I'm proud of you. And I think that's why it is so crucial for us to recognize it. If, that's, if that is the whole in your experience, there is the Father who can fill that completely. Remember when Jesus was baptized? In fact, this is the beginning of his ministry. When, when, and this is, this is the miracle of Christmas. I mean, Jesus entered in this world through the, the means of the Holy Spirit, and a miraculous birth, placed in the womb of Mary. But he went through all that little babies and little kids and teenagers and the young adults went through, experiencing all the pains and the challenges of life. And, and they, I'm sure they saw some things a little bit different about Jesus. It seems like he never, he never did anything wrong, you know. He was always respectful and obedient to his parents. He was always helpful to the people around him. There was something unique about him, but we, we don't know much of that story after he was age 12. But then his ministry began. And John the Baptist, who, who came to the point where he said, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't, even, I don't even have the right to, un, un, to touch his, his sandals and his feet, which, which Jewish people didn't really like to do. I don't even have that right. And then he baptized him. And, and God, in all of who he is, revealed who Jesus is. Where a voice from heaven and a, and a dove from heaven expressing the Holy Spirit and the Father expressed, this is my beloved Son and whom I am well, what? Pleased. Or you could say simply this, this is my Son whom I love and whom I am proud of. And, and when we become a child of God, that's what God says to us. I, I love you. And as, as a child of mine, you are precious in my sight. So as we think about God, and we think of God our Father, 
We can experience him as Romans 8, 15 says, we have the right to do. For you have received not a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. And that word Abba simply means daddy. The the Father invites us to express love to him as he's expressed love to us in the most intimate way. He is our daddy. So as we think about pursuing God, God, the Father, is our loving provider for his children. Secondly, as we think of the Son, and again, we're just taking one emphasis here for each one of the persons of the Godhead. But you can wrap your heart and mind around one or two things rather than 50 things. That we are to know the Lord Jesus, the Son, is our gracious Savior. Our gracious Savior. And again, all of God is involved in everything. In fact, that's why in Isaiah he says of himself, God, that he is the Savior. And so if Jesus is the Savior, then he must be God because God is the Savior and Jesus is the Savior. But he's the gracious Savior. Again, 2 Corinthians 13, 4, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. But who is Jesus? He is the one who came to deal with our sins. Matthew 1, 21, she, she shall bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And again, as we, as we think about God, we need to recognize who he is and who we are. He is the one who can rescue us, and we are the ones who need to be rescued. We are the ones who are guilty, and he's the one who can deal with our guilt. We are the ones who have done things that need to be forgiven, and he's the one who forgives us. And you think, well, how can he do that? It's because he's gracious. John 1.14 says this, and, and the word became flesh, and that, if you look at the context of John, it's obviously in reference to Jesus. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, glories of the only begotten from the Father, full of what? Grace. Full of grace and truth. And so when we come into an experience of life, and we have it happen so often when not only are people disappointed with us, but we're disappointed with ourselves. Anybody experience that? Anybody ever you know, kind of give yourself a report card grade and you're not giving yourself necessarily a great grade? I was, uh, I was in a Bible study this week, and someone didn't complete all their questions, and so I gave them a grade on their sheet, you know, and, and um, um, they had never gotten a C plus in their entire life, okay, but they got, okay. You know, we, you know, what kind of grade do we give ourselves? You know, sometimes if we don't look at ourselves deeply, we can give ourselves a great grade, right? But whenever we come to that part, and we had that passage in your Bible study this past week, search me, O God, and know my heart, and, and see if there's any hurtful way in me. Then lead me in the everlasting way. When God searches our heart, and even when we search our own heart, we, we see we still fall short of living out what God has put in if we're a child of God. And we wonder, why does God keep putting up with us? Because he's gracious. It's his unmerited favor. A favor means that, that God is wanting what's best for us. 
And, and we know that we don't always deserve it. And in a sense, if we go through life thinking we always get so much better than we deserve, then we're, we're touching the heart of God who sent his son that we might experience his graciousness as the one who saved us and rescued us from our sins. The one who's not just in the possession of a little grace. And aren't we that way sometimes? I'll, I'll give you a little grace on this one. I'll give you, I'll give you a little bit on, on this one, but don't, don't do it a second time or a third time or a fourth time. God is full of grace. Doesn't mean that we try to get away with it, but we are driven to it and to please the one who came for us. And then finally, knowing the Holy Spirit is the intimate helper. And the reason I put it that way, in 2 Corinthians 13, 14, he says, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. That word fellowship in, uh, in various translations, or uh, even in this particular test, text, sometimes it will be in the uh, fellowship of the Spirit, or it'll say the communion of the Holy Spirit. It's the word that we use for this table that we're going to be experiencing in terms of remembering the Lord coming from us. It, has the word, it can be the same word uh, for partnership. It's the word koinonia. It's the word that is to be used uniquely for Christians in their relationship not only with God, but their relationship with each other. And sometimes you wonder, how does the, how does the church work? I mean, you've got people from so many different walks of life, so many different experiences, so many different interests. I mean, normally we have fellowship with, with people who like everything that we like. I mean, if you like to golf, you like spending time with people who are... Yeah, this is not a trick question. Yeah, with golfers, right? You know, if you, you, know, if you, like, if you like the angels, you, know, you like going to a, a game with people who are angel fans. You don't like Dodgers fans there. You just want angel fans there, right? I mean, it, it's the people that we have uh, things in common with that bring us together. How do you explain people with so many different, you know, backgrounds? And all of a sudden, you, you get them together, and if they have Jesus in their life, there's family there. Because koinonia, fellowship and communion, produces intimacy. It produces friendship. And so as we think about the Holy Spirit, he's the one who comes alongside, who is who's also inside, and he is, he is the helper, the intimate helper. And, and that's why Paul, at the end of his letter, the church of 2 Corinthians, says, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of the Father and the fellowship or communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. I want you to experience God's unmerited favor in his son Jesus. I want you to experience God's loving provision and his, his daddy role in your life who says, I love you and I'm pleased with you. And I want you to experience that the Spirit is always there. Producing in you not a sense that God is so far, but that he's so near. It's like James says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. It's the intimacy of the Holy Spirit. And that's why Jesus could say, but I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So what's the point this morning? Christmas, going back to our season, is, 
is all about knowing you can know God. And, and, and how can we know God? Because God wants to be known. And because he wants us to know that he, that he can be known, he, he sent us his son. So that Emmanuel, and what does Emmanuel mean? It means God with us. One of the titles of Jesus. God is with us so that he can be known. Maybe there's someone here this morning, and again, on this journey that you're on, you haven't come to that place where you know God and are known by God in the most intimate ways of Jesus being your Lord and Savior. If that's the case this morning, I want to give you an opportunity, even where you sit this morning, to make that step. And if you do already know, that just, just praise God that he can not only be known, but he can be known in a deeper way as we pursue him. That's why Peter said, I want you to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Make this a lifelong pursuit. Let's pray together. Our Father, if there's anyone here this morning that only knows about you but doesn't know you, might, might be this the day in which they make that commitment to you. Making that commitment comes to that place in all of our lives where, first of all, we have to make an admission. We, we admit that we need to know you. And, and we want to turn from living our life on our own, and we now want to turn to the, to the Savior. We're, we're tired of our sin, and we want you to forgive us of our sin. And, and then we need to come to the point where we believe. We believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for us and rose again. And because of his death on the cross, he died in our place that we could experience forgiveness. And then we got to make a commitment. And right now, a person could make a commitment and say, Jesus, come into my life. Change me on the inside. I want to follow you with all of my heart. I know, I know I'll mess up, but I want to follow you with all of my heart. I want you to know me, and I want you to lead me. That's the prayer of my heart this day. And Father, for all of us, we pray that we might desire to know you deeply and to make you known. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. This morning, as we have opportunity to worship the, the living God, is to take of the table.